All right, welcome to Ordinary Life, the last in shutdown, the last class in shutdown. I guess we could call it that, but we still will have a virtual and in-person options. Yeah. So um, we are going to reopen next Sunday for in-person attendance. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> Holly has got this all planned out. <laughs> no, it's so as, as you know, it's been a, a lot of flipping and flopping. It, it is really confusing yeah. because the CDC mm -hmm. did a flip-flop. Yeah, and, and we're trying so, to flop with it. Well, what we said was that we were going to follow the protocols of the church. And the protocols that St. Paul's is following seem to change every 72 hours. So Right. So here's what we're doing. Do you want me to say it? Yeah. Since we're flip-flopping? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we are having an Eventbrite sign-up. The room with some distancing is set up for 90. So signing up on the Eventbrite link will help us know how to arrange the room. It will also help if we have to do any kind of contract trace, contact tracing. Um, masks are optional. Do what makes you feel comfortable and safe. And we will not have our traditional sacred cookie, but there'll be some kind of packaged good. Mm -hmm. Bring your own coffee. There will not be a coffee bar. That has not changed. <laughs> and, and I'm sure yeah. that all this is going to be in flux as yeah. we kind of get our legs under us and see how things are going. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that we will gradually over time get back into having the setup of the class being as it has been in the past where we'll gather for a social time at the beginning. Uh, there will be uh, some announcements uh, about things that are going on in the class, in the church, in the community. We renegotiated Callista's contract. C Callista's coming back mm -hmm. to do that. And then we'll take a break, as we always have, get, give you a chance to speak to each other again, to get whatever sacred cookies we have and beverages, and then um, we will go forward. We're not going to talk a lot today about what the future is going to look like as far as teaching is concerned, but next Sunday uh, we will be introducing a brand new theme. And um, I really hope that you feel motivated and free to come. I hope we have a, re as Holly said, we're gonna set the room up for 90. I hope we have 90 people show up next week. We should say that um, it, the church is still saying that kids under 12 need to be masked. So if you come with kids and have them in the um, downstairs area, just prepare them with a mask. So, um, Every Tuesday morning at 8 o'clock, an email goes out from, on Constant Contact that has the slideshow that we show during class. It has usually the text of the class that we teach, although I don't think that's going to be a possibility today. We're, we are going to do some reflecting. We have some content in front of us, but we'll probably be more in dialogue right. than anything. And... Um, so when, when we do gather next Sunday, Holly, who has co-taught with me this entire 15 months, and are then going to lay out what we think about for the 
the coming year on June the 20th, which is Father's Day, mm. Dr. Jim Bankston is going to dialogue with me. Um, most of all of you know Jim and and um, really admire him, and and we're so grateful for the tone of inclusion that he set for St. Paul's. And you also know that the United Methodist Church is in a struggle right now <clears throat> over the language that's in the Book of Discipline about full inclusion. St. Paul's is clearly on the side of full inclusion. How that affects our future when General Conference comes up in 2022. Uh, Jim is somebody who is really politically savvy and well in the know of this, so um, uh, I'm gonna ask him to be here and talk about that. So if you go to the Ordinary Life website and what I meant to say about the email that is going to go out this Tuesday, it will have a link in it to the event bright registration. Yes. So that will be on Tuesday, and it will be again there on Friday. It, so the Eventbrite link will be open from Tuesday to Saturday night, really. Um, and that just and then we, what we do is we come with that list on Sunday, and we can just make sure that we have the room set up. So. Oh. Yeah, work in progress. <laughs> and I, I, we both want to be clear that Ordinary Life has been live streamed for months and months and months mm -hmm. and we're going to continue live streaming the class because we have people who are from coast to coast thank goodness who who watch mm -hmm. and I'm sure that we will continue to thank Tim Leatherwood and Olivia Watson and William Budge and John Watson for their invaluable help in making this happen. Yeah. So today the room is set up as if we had 90 people. We're imagining you We're imagining you to mm -hmm. be here already. And you know, something that you and I have not talked about, but we're going to continue to do the podcast. Yes. Yes, we are. We have a podcast that comes out on Thursday mornings called In Between. And maybe we'll address our new theme and in, in the title too, but the, the, goal, the sort of idea behind it is that this podcast happens in between Sundays in between Bill and Holly and sometimes others. And this idea that I love of, of Plato's, that love is in the in-between, in between two people, in between um, God and man, et cetera, et cetera. So um, yeah, please join us on that podcast Thursday mornings. So I hope that as always, the time that you invest of your precious life being with us today contributes to at least three things, that it deepens your awareness and understanding of sacred mystery, that it deepens your awareness and understanding of your true self, and that also that it helps all of us to deepen our commitment and behavior to treat other people like we want to be treated. And remember, no matter um, who you are, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, you are welcome here. Um, I'm glad you're here. Hmm. So we have given today's talk the title of that was the year that wasn't. And um, if, if you come to Ordinary Life next week, which I sincerely hope you do, uh, you're going to hear some of what we're, I'm going to say, uh, repeated. Not exactly, but there will be some overlap. Um, 
this woman who is sitting here next to me today has been indispensable for the last 15 months. And we're going to do a, a bit of review about that time, the last 15 months. I went and checked my record. Mm -hmm. And again, we'll go into more of this later. But you, had, you and I had hit a rhythm yes. where you were teaching, co-teaching with me about every month. Mm -hmm. And um, I counted five times in the year leading up to when COVID hit that we had co-taught. We had co-taught the last Sunday. Yes. Which is kind of coincidental. It is coincidental. And then the next Sunday, the, the shutdown. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I went back and looked. On February the 8th, we gave a presentation titled <laughs> Coloring Outside the Lines. Yes. I remember. And then we did a talk on the 15th of March. Mm -hmm. And that was the first Sunday of shutdown. I thought it was the next. Oh, okay. All right, but maybe you're right. Yeah. The first what I remember was, Can You Hear Me Now? Mm -hmm. The Artist Spiritual Dialogue. And then the next Sunday, we called, taught a class we call How Not to Go Berserk When Things Fall Apart. <laughs> and then <laughs> things fell everything apart. felt like it fell apart. And that very first Sunday, and you know what I didn't do? I regret, uh, maybe I did do this. Uh-huh. Um, we, we did a bit on how people respond to the, uh, the COVID. On the you, Enneagram. On the Enneagram. Yes. That was that first Sunday. Yeah. Maybe it was. Gosh, y'all, it's been a while. But we did do this piece on how our Enneagram, and it was a little bit playful. I mean, again, in those first couple of weeks, we thought, well, this is a couple of weeks. And then that turned into months. And then that turned into more than a year. So at first we were feeling a little playful and how has this been good? And then the proverbial stuff hit the fan with a lot. It's been an interesting year. Yeah. So that first Sunday that we were in, in full lockdown, I read a poem by Lynn Unger mm -hmm. called Pandemic. I'm going to reread it. What if you thought of it, that is the shutdown, as the Jews consider the Sabbath? The most sacred of times. Cease from travel. Cease from buying and selling. Give up just for now on trying to make the world different than it is. Sing. Pray. Touch only those to whom you commit your life. Sit her down. And when your body has become still, reach out with your heart. Know that we are connected in ways that are terrifying and beautiful. You could hardly deny it now. Know that our lives are in one another's hands. Surely that has become clear. Do not reach out your hands, reach out your heart, reach out your words, reach out all the tendrils of compassion that move invisibly where we cannot touch. Promise this your world your love for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, so long as we shall live. Little did we know what was coming. Right. So I put this slide up. Is our thing going? Yep. Yeah. That, you know, this isn't even all of the pictures, but it's a smattering of the pictures, about half, that John Watson took over the year. Every Sunday, either he or Olivia, if John wasn't here, just snapped a picture of us in the midst of our teaching. And every Sunday, John would send it to us during or after class. So we have this record. And um, 
I was putting this together during this week. Uh, on one of the slides, we have um, uh, John Tucker. So you, there's one over on this side that uh, he appears on a computer screen. There's a slide with Wayne, the slide with Josh and Lanice. Yeah, there's a slide of Bill doing a magic trick. <laughs> um, it was quite a year. And I also noticed how many times I wore the same skirt. Um, <laughs> but you, you, you managed to, I don't know, maybe you wore the same shirt a couple times too, but um, I, I have a skirt that I love and I definitely wore it a lot. <laughs> I don't know how to speak to the technical side of this, yeah. but I remember that early on when, they, when Tim and William and Olivia were playing with things, trying to adjust things, figure things out, uh -huh. they took out this big screen right. behind us and put right. a black yeah. thing in, yeah. remember? And uh, they said to each other, if only Bill doesn't wear black we'll today. Be okay. and, and that was black. the Sunday I wore, walked in wearing a solid. <laughs> so you looked like a disembodied hand and head. So we've learned that too, that we can't wear black, which um, you know, for many people takes out about half of their wardrobe. Um, anyway, it's, it's, been, it's been a while, it's been a year. Um, but you just read this poem and I wanna say that Poetry, I talk about this often, has been such a salve and a balm for me this year. I think poetry really helps me to feel the ineffable, that which I can't really put into words, but other people's words can sometimes touch a feeling deep in me or touch something that, that I can't describe. And in these moments when I've wanted to weep, sometimes when I can't, poetry has helped me touch that. When I think about you know, these kind of calls to a return to normal, this requires a little bit of cognitive dissonance for me. Um, it's kind of like one of those pharmaceutical commercials that's playing really soothing music overlaid with all the warning signs of the medicine. You might die of a heart attack or gallbladder disease or your feet might fall off, but there's... These are some of the side effects. Right, but meanwhile, it's just this lovely music and, and that's the kind of cognitive dissonance that I feel right now. A word that's been used widely this year, especially in households that have kids, is asynchronous. If you have kids, you know <laughs> William is nodding his head. We've had a year of asynchronous learning and that word resonates deeply with how this year has felt, asynchronous. So much has changed, so much has happened, and yet here we are trying to mark some of the things that have happened in a way that feels true and right and good. And you know, it's a kind of year that we've had that we, we can't move past it. We can't wallow in it and feel sorry for ourselves, but we also can't move on too quickly. When you use that word asynchronous, does yeah. that mean what I'm about to describe? There have been so many days during the last 15 months when I have said, now what's today? Mm -hmm. if, it, if it's a day in which I'm scheduled to see clients over Zoom, I'm pretty well wired to those days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But like Friday this week felt like Saturday all day. Right, and then you look at your calendar and do your Friday things, but you're actually on Saturday or whatever. And it's, it does feel like that. My kids' um, iPads go off at different times. It's like, do-do-do, do-do-do. Do you have a class now? No, Mommy, it's asynchronous. 
you know, so you, it's just, um, that is a perfect word. So thank you, HISD and school districts for giving us the perfect word for this year. Um, you know, that song, you, you, you were well alive into your late 20s by this time, maybe 30s, 20s, 30s, 1971. Marvin Gaye sang the song, Mercy, Mercy Me. Mm -hmm. Oh, mercy, mercy me. Things ain't what they used to be, right? This song is actually about environmental devastation. Oh. If you read, I went through back and read the lyrics, but you know, those, that hook also applies here. There are a few things I return, and please feel free to interrupt as I'm going, Bill. There, there are a few things I've returned to over and over again this year. Um, these small mercies, I think, these little acts of love, poetry, writing, as I said, other people's words. So sometimes I couldn't cry over this sort of immense devastation that has happened. Over 3 million people have died in the last 15 months of a single disease. So that's not even counting the other people who have died of non-COVID-related problems. The murder of a black man that catalyzed the entire world. A uh, loss of a sense of ease and knowing and comfort. I know where I'm going today. So when I couldn't cry over these things because it felt too real, sometimes other essays, poetry, or art could help elicit those much-needed tears. And one of my favorites is, of course, James Baldwin. He wrote uh, an essay called The Creative Process. I think I've read it about every week over the last six or eight months. And every time I read it, I get something different from it. I'll read a couple of lines from it. He writes, the dangers of being an American artist are not greater than those of being an artist anywhere else in the world, but they are very particular. These dangers are produced by our history. They rest on the fact that in order to conquer this continent, this particular aloneness of which I speak, the aloneness in which one discovers that life is tragic and therefore unutterably beautiful could not be permitted. We know in the case of a person that whoever cannot tell him or herself the truth about the past is trapped in it, is immobilized in this prison of the undiscovered self. This is also true of nations. We have an opportunity that no other nation has in moving beyond the old world concepts of race and class and caste to create finally what we must have had in mind when we first began speaking of the new world. This is my favorite line. Societies never know it, but the war of an artist with his society is a lover's war. Mm. And he does at his best what lovers do, which is to reveal the beloved to himself and with that revelation to make freedom real. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Very beautiful. Yeah. It's sort of what we've been grappling with, I think, this year is how to be with something as we're going through it and also reveal or speak to it in a way that feels prophetic mm -hmm. or slightly wise. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that you and I in our teaching have kind of mirrored what was going on 
among some people in our culture. We had we had a, we were really disoriented about okay, now what are we going to do? Now what are we going to do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for the first little while. And then mm -hmm. um, at my insistence. Mm. It was a good insistence. You know, part of it was we didn't know how long we would be here. And so we were kind of treading water a little bit. We honestly did think it would be over in three weeks. Mm -hmm. three, and then three months. And then... Maybe three years. <laughs> we didn't know. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. thank God yeah. for the vaccines that... And the, and the people that made them. They'd been uh, in work for a long time to make this happen. Um, yeah. I know you want to talk about um, Brian Dole's stuff. Can I yeah. jump ahead? I want you to, yeah. Uh, because uh, Holly is the one who, uh, in our conversations, we'd get together on Zoom and talk about, well, now what and <laughs> where you want to go and whatever. And um, Holly came up with the idea of using Thich Nhat Hanh's word, interbeing, as kind of, it, it was on the screen every Sunday after she came up with it because we decided that what we were going to do is use the teachings of both Buddha and Jesus to find a path to walk in the time of disorientation and distrust and division. I, I think that one of the worst things that has happened in this pandemic is that it got politicized and behaviors around it got politicized. And I think that's so sad that it's still still going on. Mm -hmm. I think, I know the lockdown was very devastating for many people economically, restaurants and stores and places that went out of business and others that struggle so mightily to, to stay. I had friends who died during the COVID and their partners could not be with them in the hospital, yeah. uh, couldn't be with them in the in that transition. Same for babies being born. Yeah. Very often the, the woman may have had to have been in the room just with the doctor. So we quit having funerals, yeah. memorial services, weddings, mm -hmm. the things that really bring communities of people together to celebrate and to express love and so forth. Anyway, I, I want to I read the piece by Thich Nhat Hanh. Please do. I love that man. Interbeing. Mm -hmm. he's, he's still alive. He's still alive. Uh, he was born in 1926. Yeah, he's in a fairly comatose state. Mm -hmm. but Yeah. I uh, did a workshop with Thich Nhat Hanh. Yeah, you've said that. Yeah. I'm not going to tell that story. I've told it a lot, but uh, he's very difficult to hear. You know, one of the things also that I discovered during the, during COVID is the value of um, YouTube. Uh huh. You can go listen to Richard Rohr do an entire course on the Enneagram for free. Yeah. Or you can sit, find Thich Nhat Hanh, or you can also go back and listen to things like Krista Tippett interviewing Thich Nhat Hanh. Yeah. And you can also look up how to fix your dishwasher on YouTube. There are some enormously helpful things that you can do with YouTube. Because I the, did that, by the way. I did the, look the, up Because the church uh, decided to start having services outside. Mm -hmm. Now we've dropped that. Uh, and it became so hot and everything the people in charge here decided that all the clergy would uh, be furnished with albs. 
mm -hmm. and wear them. You know what an ob looks yes. like? It's a kind of yes. like a, a Franciscan monk's mm -hmm. robe mm -hmm. with a rope tied around it. I went on YouTube to find out how to tie an ob rope. Huh. And then it's there. And now you know. It's three different yeah. ob ropes yeah. ties, yeah. if you ever want to know. I'm, I'm so pleased to know that. <laughs> so Thich Nhat Hanh offers a meditation about a piece of paper. Hmm. To illustrate the mysterious interconnection of all things, which he calls interbeing. Now, this is a word that uh, he came up with. If you are a poet, you will see clearly that there's a cloud floating in this sheet of paper. Mm. Without a cloud, there will be no rain. Without rain, the trees cannot grow, and without trees, we cannot make paper. The cloud is essential for paper to exist. If the cloud is not here, the sheet of paper cannot be here either. So we can say that the cloud and the paper enter are. Interbeing is a word that is not in the dictionary yet, but if we combine the prefix of enter and the verb to be, we have a new verb, interbe. Mm -hmm. If we look into this sheet of paper even more deeply, we can see the sunshine in it. Without the sunshine, the forest cannot grow. In fact, nothing can grow without sunshine. So we know that the sunshine is also in this sheet of paper. The paper and the sunshine enter R. And if we continue to look, we can see the logger who cut the tree and brought it to the mill to be transformed into paper. And we see wheat. We know that the logger cannot exist without his daily bread. And therefore, the wheat that became his bread is also in this sheet of paper. The logger's father and mother are in it too. When we look at it this way, we see that without all these things, this sheet of paper cannot exist. Looking even more deeply, we can see ourselves in this sheet of paper too. This is not difficult to see because when we look at a sheet of paper, it's part of our perception. Your mind is in here and mine is also. So we can say that everything is in here with this sheet of paper. We cannot point out one thing that is not here. Time, space, the earth, the rain, the minerals in the soil, the sunshine, the cloud, the river, the heat, everything coexists within this sheet of paper. This is why I think the word interbe should be in the dictionary. Mm. To be is to interbe. We cannot be just by ourselves alone. We have to interbe with every other thing. This sheet of paper is because everything else is. Suppose we try to return one of the elements to its source. Without non-paper elements like mind, lager, sunshine, and so on, there will be no paper. As thin as this sheet of paper is, it contains everything in the universe in it. And so we did a series of talks on the teachings of Buddha. We did talks on the Four Noble Truths. We did talks on the Eightfold Path. And then we wanted to give Jesus equal time. Yeah. <laughs> we gave Jesus more time, actually. We did yeah. give Jesus yeah. more time. Well, it, and, yeah. And, and, and decided to use the material drawn from um, the Christian collection that's called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And then we just ended the Lord's Prayer with a deep dive into the Lord's Prayer. You know, as you were reading what Thich Nhat Hanh writes about interbeing, I, I, you know, it's so vast and so particular. 
so huge and so small at the same moment. And so often, I can't tell you how many times and how many margins of how many books I've written and how. And how do we really see ourselves in everything that is? What does that look like? And that's what we've tried to give voice to, is some kind of way of just being with not just the universe, but with each other. And we were both reminded of that lovely Hafiz poem that we read early on, too, called There is a Wonderful Game. And I'll just read part of it. You just rubbed your nose as we said that. And remember, it's about how big your nose is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, he says... Read the whole it, thing. Okay, it's not too long. That's true. There is a game we should play, and it goes like this. We hold hands and look into each other's eyes and scan each other's face. And then I say, now tell me a difference you see between us. And you might respond, Hafiz, your nose is 10 times bigger than mine. And then I would say, yes, my dear, almost 10 times. But let's keep playing. Let's go deeper, go deeper. For if we do, our spirits will embrace and interweave our union will be so glorious that even God will not be able to tell us apart. There is a wonderful game. We should play with everyone, and it goes like this. I, I, love that. I know. I'm reminded of yours and Sherry's um, program that you used to do, Being One, and how you would have us gaze into our lover's or partner's eyes. And it's, um, I mean, it brought me to tears. And we need to do that once a week with each other, just gaze, you know. I bet when you, your children were small, did you go in their room and just gaze at them when they were sleeping? It still brings me to tears, and they're almost mm -hmm. as tall as I am now. And so you know, the, the question is, can we take that into practice and look at everything in our lives and say, I see you, and in you, I see me. If that were our nation's mantra, I just don't think we would be so divided as we are right now. I, you know, you know, while while you were talking and saying that, and I was just thinking about this last year. You thought my nose is ten times no, bigger than you. No, no. What I was thinking is that there, we try to be really, really thorough in reflecting on this last year, and one of the things that neither one of us thought to bring up was braiding sweetgrass. Oh my gosh, we mentioned that at least a hundred times. We did, We're and so because when you said, wouldn't that be a great mantra for the yes. country, I thought the, the prayer of Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving the, the, the thing yeah. of Thanksgiving, how yeah. valuable that would be. You know, I mean, if only we ruled the world. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> well, so yeah. I, I will do the lead-in for what I think you want to do mm -hmm. next, and then we got some more stuff to get yeah. into. One uh, morning, I got a call from Matt Russell. Yeah, well... Uh, Mr. Matt, Matt. <laughs> yeah. and, and uh, Matt said, I've just been reading a book that I think you would love. And he called, he said, it's called One Long River Song yeah. by Brian Dahl. Yeah. And so I bought it and began reading it. And after reading the introduction written by a friend of Brian's, telling him explaining what you're in for, yeah. then there are this collection of essays. Yeah. Three to five minutes long. Oh, gosh, yeah. No, none are more than six pages yeah yeah and yeah. beautifully written yeah really beautifully almost stream of conscious mm -hmm. poetic observing you can almost feel like you're on a walk with him and he died of, of cancer so this was a book that was published posthumously mm -hmm. 
And it, it really is, I mean, you just get a sense for his kind of spiritual practice, if you will, and the awareness in some of them that he is facing his own mortality. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so if you want a resource for mm -hmm. your daily spiritual practice. This is a good one. This is a good one. This one, so you, and then you, after Matt says to you, you say to me, I'm reading this book. So now we're saying it to y'all, we're reading this book. And I'll read a little bit from it. Um, this, this one stole my breath um, in a way that I just couldn't. Whoa, I, I don't, did, it, did Leap steal your breath in that way? Yeah. Okay. So he, I, I've mentioned this in here before, but he wrote this short essay called Leap. And he, and I mean, literally, I choke back sobs every time I read it. it it's a, a, a little story, an homage to 9-11, and in some way, those who died and some of those who leapt from the buildings. So, you know, that, that day seared images of collapsing buildings in our minds forever. Any of us who were alive can just, all we have to do is not even blink, and we can get that image in our minds. So these unnameable images are also emblazoned in my heart from this year. You know, just, just some really powerful images from this year. Not happy ones. Mm -hmm. you know, George Floyd with Derek Chauvin's knee on his neck is one. But I return to this passage again, again, and again when I want to hold on to some small sliver of hope when it feels like things are lost. And he writes in this one moment of these people holding hands as they jump or leap from the Twin Towers, and he writes, oh, wow, <laughs> I, I hope I make it through this because it really does make me lose my breath. Their hands reaching and joining are the most powerful prayer I can imagine, the most eloquent, the most graceful. It is everything that we are capable of against horror and loss and death. It is what makes me believe that we are not craven fools and charlatans to believe in God, to believe that human beings have greatness and holiness within them, like seeds that open under only great fires, to believe that some imaginable essence of who we are persists past the dissolution of what we were, to believe against such evil hourly evidence that love is why we are here. Wow. I mean, just one of the most awful moments of our recent history, these two dying people reach for one another. And it just makes me wonder, can we do that now? We're in a moment of such division and no, there are not buildings crumbling behind us and we're not literally leaping, but can we reach for each other? Mm. You know, can, and, yeah. And I can tell that you've not finished this book. I have not because I have not gotten to the one about marriage that you keep saying. Um, if you think this touched you and made I'll, you cry, I'll be weeping you for will days. be bawling when <laughs> oh. you read that. It's yeah. just really great. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about as we've moved through this time is what does a theology of grief and discomfort look like in tandem with a theology of radical love? Mm. And when is it important to lean into this kind of grief and discomfort? these images of things crumbling, and when is it important to seek refuge from them? And, and how do we do that? It's called Lament. Yeah, there's a whole book in the Bible about that one. There is a book uh -huh. called Lamentations, mm -hmm. and we're going to get into that. Um, 
probably within the next five to six weeks. Um, I guess I, to more say about that today as we go on, but I want to know how you're going to get in this next slide. Well, you know, <laughs> maybe this is a terrible jump to make, but here we just are reading these really powerful prophetic things. <laughs> and, um, you know, we're returning to one another. And in this sort of return to one another, we have to recognize that we've missed some kind of companionship, right? There's habits we've gotten into. Let me show you one of them. Not wearing pants at home is one of them. Um, <laughs> this is a still from a commercial that just cracked me up the first time I saw it. This, his wife is like, come on, baby, we're going to be late for our happy hour. And he comes out just in a nice shirt and underwear, and the people are actually there, and he's like, Oh, I thought it was on Zoom. <laughs> and so we have to put on pants starting next week. Bill and I, by the way, have been wearing pants all year, but you know, he, that's that's good. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, this is this companionship of how do we do this again? How do we be in what um, I love Omirku's words for this: the companionship of empowerment mm -hmm. together. How do we do this? We're coming up in a way from this time of monastic being of, of I, I, let's show the cicada, right? These cicadas are emerging right now in the Eastern United States after what, 17 years of being underground. So they form and they operate and they burrow for up to 17 years underground. And they live for three weeks, three weeks, that's it. And I kind of think that we are a little bit like these cicadas right now. We're kind of, you know, coming up from underground. When I was a kid, did you guys have cicadas in Tennessee? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I feel like these were the background music of my childhood when I was a kid. Mm, loud. Uh, oh, really loud. Uh, and they get louder and louder and louder when, um, when storms come, which in Houston we have a lot of summer storms. But I, I remember being both kind of repelled and fascinated by them. Their, their little hollow shells would stick to everything. And uh, they would stick to our screen on, on our back windows. Um, they, they stuck to trees, they stuck to plants, they stuck to the benches. And in and, and this kind of violent rip down the middle of their backs where these winged creatures would emerge from. Uh -huh. And again, fascinated and repelled by them. There's been a, some hilarious videos of newscasters being outside uh, in the Eastern United States and doing their newscast, and all of a sudden cicadas just start crawling up their neck and kind of, you know. And I, I don't know if you know this or not, yeah. but um, because I'm a foodie mm -hmm. and do cook, mm. um, some entrepreneuring chefs have figured out recipes. For the cicada shells or for these guys? For the these guys. guys. Oh along with crickets. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, so <laughs> I just think, you know, one year of monastic living is hard enough. Right. Can you imagine 17? Right. So yeah. um, those of you who did come to Ordinary Life physically would remember that there would be a screen up, and as you gathered, there would be announcement slides, they were called, but that over the years, it morphed into becoming more cartoons. Mm -hmm. And so during um, the Bill, lot, you have a mosquito on your cheek. Huh? You have a mosquito on your cheek. Really? Yeah. 
That was funny because we were just talking about cicadas, but it's gone now. It's gone? I was going to slap you, but I didn't. Um. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time. No, I've never slapped right. you. <laughs> so uh, I've, one of the things that I'm kind of proud of is that every Sunday we have had a completely new slideshow. Well, the, uh, well, the cartoon. Yeah, uh, that's your doing. You really put a lot of effort into the announcement slides. Yeah. And uh, thanks to all the people who have sent me slides. I can't give every everyone credit because I don't remember. But I had some uh, um, COVID things. <laughs> My wife took up gardening, but she won't tell me what she's going to plant. This is very early on. Day in, seven, it says. Uh, Day seven, yeah. Having some states locked down and some states not is like having a what? Peeing section in the swimming pool. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> I swear we're fighting two pandemics, coronavirus and stupidity. L Word had no develop had developed the perfect theme on his t shirt to maintain social distancing. Ask me about my Ask religion. Ask me about my religion. Yeah. They say we can have gatherings of up to eight people without any issues. I don't know eight people without issues. <laughs> yeah. And the Zoom fatigue syndrome. Yeah. Oh, Zoom is tedious. Zoom is tedious, and it requires in some ways more of you than being in person, in some ways less of you. If you're in a big meeting, you can still text while you're on Zoom. So, uh, <laughs> I... One of, the, one of the things that did happen to us yes. and that I forgot, mm -hmm. and, but you remembered, mm -hmm. is that during this year, we saw a movie that is still on Hulu called In and of Itself. Mm -hmm. And I cannot remember when a film has wormed its way into my heart mm -hmm. and mind any more than that film. Yeah. I've seen it now twice. Huh. It's, it's so beautiful. And this is the book that is either the basis of the show. I think the book is the basis of the show or the show begot the book. But it's Derek Delgadio's kind of memoir, kind of traveling through these journeys of his life that helped him create this sort of autobiographical, magical, illusionist show that he called In and of Itself. And the book is a moral man, a moral man. <laughs> and it's it's also good. I'm only about a. It's a very fast read. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's called True Story and Other Lies by Derek Delgadio. But that that did, and the one the thing that, for me, had such an impact from that movie or the watching of it was the theme of continuation. And I've been thinking about you know this idea of the, so this sort of brings together the cicadas. This brings through a year of being virtual. This brings through. The things that keep us from flying apart are often the things we cannot see. Right. And I want to give a public acknowledgement to Scott Wells mm. for helping both Holly and me understand the movie better mm -hmm. and um, for um, being on our podcast to yeah. talk about things. Yeah. He did a magic trick on our podcast. That's right. He did. A verbal magic trick. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking about that, actually, this idea of what keeps us from flying apart. You know what it is in the cosmos? Dark matter. Dark matter. We can't see it. We don't even really know how it operates. We just know that it operates because of the way things 
move around it mm -hmm. or through it. And then I think about how love has that quality. You know, this sort of, it operates through us and between us, and it's also ineffable and very hard to name. It's a paradox. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this apparent quality that love has that can be positive and also growing, it's expansive and layered, but it's also hard. It's really hard to do love well. And, you know, this kind of visible physicality that we have, even though we haven't seen y'all in over a year, I think we have imagined people in our minds as sure. we write. We imagine specifics and generals, and, and we think through this space every week and the dark matter that kind of keeps us from flying apart or mm -hmm. the love that generates the desire to keep going. That's been a really strong, compelling mm -hmm. thing. So I've been also thinking about, you know, what, what, how do we energize dark matter? And I think love is a way that we can energize that dark matter. Dark matter doesn't have a quality. It's not good or bad. Mm -hmm. It just is. But love has a quality. Love has a way of being in the world. You know, you, you, you will recall that right before the shutdown, you and I were teaching, um, and we were teaching, <clears throat> this is before we got into the teaching that we did on Buddhist teachings after the shutdown, but we did a, a series together called Praying the Four Immeasurables mm -hmm. of Love. Mm -hmm. And they are drawn directly from Fair Buddhist nice. teachings. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, it, it actually is about the, the first actual age, the truth of the first actual age, which is don't do to someone what you would not want done to you, which is uh, acting with compassion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's where we need to go. Yeah. I mean, what if we could imagine that love is the thing that keeps us from flying apart? And that happens only ever in between. You know, and some of it is you know, one of the things that I think has been coming up a lot is like memory, remembrance. Um, are we ready to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well, I, yeah. I think these slides are going to be out of order. They but, might, yeah. But th that's okay, because um, before the lockdown, mm -hmm. there was the uh, murder of Ahmoud Arbery. Yeah, go ahead and move to it. Do you want to? Uh, that's all right. We'll okay. get to it, because yeah. I, I want to do this, too, because I yeah. think it's very important. Mm -hmm. And then on May the 31st of last year, um, there was the murder of George Floyd, mm -hmm. which provoked a global reaction, mm -hmm. racial reckoning. You referred to it as an apocalyptic time, a great uncovering. Mm -hmm. And there was no way that we could avoid talking about those things. Um, and one of the things since then that's been uncovered is the Wall Street massacre. Mm -hmm. I'd like to spend some time talking about why, after all these years, that is just beginning to surface. I heard about it first, maybe a year and a half or two years ago. Mm -hmm. First time I ever heard yeah. about it. Didn't know anything about it. I mean, it wasn't something we were taught in schools. And, you know, this idea, here's a photo from 1921 and what we now have come to call the Tulsa Massacre. And the idea of remembrance and reckoning is, has been a major theme this year. And Baldwin, for example, for me, has felt so important and so prescient in these times. 
I loved what Josh said a couple weeks back when he was here. I was like, say that again, babe. <laughs> he said, um, reckoning is what happens when we don't remember. And we tend so often to have short memories about difficult things. Well, let's move past that. Can't we move on already? And this is where I, I really long for a kind of theology of discomfort, how to sit in that when we talk about things like, um, like white privilege, for example. And I, I saw something like, what if we could imagine using the privileges that we have just to love a little better? So um, on the anniversary of George Floyd's, and I want to acknowledge that while we talked about this in class, we got feedback from people about things that we said. And um, some of what we said was received defensively and some dismissively and some tiresomely. I'm ready to move on mm. and talk about other things. But uh, on the, the Chronicle on the day of George Floyd's anniversary had this story mm. honoring that. And the, the right-hand column is the new no-permit gun carry law, which is about to go into effect in Houston. In Texas, all of Texas. I mean, in Texas. Yeah. And today, today on the front page of the New York Times, the lead article is about two things. Number one, the dramatic increase in gun sales in the United States. And right next to it is the decision not to have an investigation into, six, into the January 16th thing. Right. And so we are in a place of more distrust, more divisiveness, and it's a scary time. You know, one of the, the sort of things that um, remembrance and, and ha offers us is ability to sit with, right, to just be with. And one of the m sort of amazing things that happened when apartheid ended in South Africa were the truth and reconciliation trials. And it was a process that they, they, they structured for almost a decade. They worked on the structure of these, these events, but it was intentional and it was thought out and they had to think through what are the consequences if someone comes forward with their story? Will someone be protected if they come forward with a story of, of being harmed? And you know, our, our tendency to wanna move through things so quickly because they're uncomfortable and hard I want to say it doesn't help us grow. Like growth is there. Growth is in disturbance and growth is in remembrance and growth is in, in feeling uncomfortable. And as Josh said, you know, reckoning is what happens when we don't remember, you know, when we one, don't sit with. One, one of the things that also happens during the time when calls are made for racial justice and so forth mm -hmm. is that some people point out how, um, and, and I thought, this was spoken to by Brandon Mack when he was here. Some people will say things like, why do you say black lives matter mm -hmm. when all lives matter? And aren't there issues in the black and Hispanic community like singles and a lot of other things? Mm -hmm. um, hmm. I grew up in Tennessee on the just the west side of Appalachia and spent many times, many trips going to, into Appalachian country. And um, you can find the same demographic statistics among poor, uneducated white people mm -hmm. that you find among any group that is denied an opportunity for education and access and treated equally. But it did give rise to this cartoon 
Mm-hmm. Right. A man is drowning and the guy on the boat says, how do I know you won't use this for drugs? Right. And I think what you're saying is sometimes we use this distraction technique to say, well, how come we're not paying attention to violence in black communities? How come we're not paying attention to the, you know, um, uh, the poverty and the single mothers, et cetera, et cetera? Because those same issues exist everywhere. And to defer to it being, well, this is a problem in the black community detracts from the issue that really is the largest risk factor, I think, to all of our lives is racism. There's a, a woman named Heather McGee that Josh and I have been both reading this book called um, The Sum of Us. And she, she writes about how racism impacts everyone. Um, it impacts public resources for all communities. Because when we make decisions based on, so in, in the days of segregation, public swimming pools, for example, were not open to both black and white children. And so there was a removal in many cities of public swimming pools, which impacted everyone. There was a resource that was lost. And you know, I think about why, why is that a hard thing for people to hear when, when we hear Black Lives Matter? Why does this feel divisive? Please know, I mean, this is the water I swim in. The loves of my life are a black man and three biracial children. How can I not say black lives matter? But I, I think that the leaning in is saying it doesn't mean that yours doesn't. It just means we need to uplift those that we have for too long in this country through policy and programming and resources ignored. Well, you know, I... Um, I got on the path of studying psychology and theology because I got involved in the civil rights movement in mm -hmm. Tennessee in the late 50s. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I was raised by racist parents. Very confusing situation because my father had hired a black woman to take care of his children. I love that woman. And um, when somebody says, I'm not racist, I want to say, how'd you get there? Because I am. Mm. It's, the, it's, it's, again, the water in which we swim. It is. You know, mm -hmm. I, it's just like the, I, I have DNA that's Southern Baptist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll never get over that. Mm -hmm. I have DNA that's racist. Mm -hmm. And so I have to be aware of it and come to terms with it and think about it on a regular basis. And you pointed out to me, thank you, a potentially uh, something that could have been interpreted as a potentially racist comment. Honestly, I didn't mean it that way. But when Brandon Mack was here, after he and Wayne had dialogued, I came up and stood here and I thanked him for being so articulate. Mm -hmm. And you pointed out to me, go it, ahead. It's a bit of a charge, right? Yeah. Because often that said... Um, to, to black men and women as if, I'm shocked that you that, speak that you're so, so well. articulate. That, I know you didn't mean it that way. But it could have been interpreted that right. way, right. and I think that's why Brandon heard it. I saw his face, and I can only guess. But yeah. it is, but that is, it, you know, it's a little sting. It's like saying to a woman, you're so smart, in a sort of shocking way, right? Um, and, and, you know, it's like we, we do have to challenge our language and the ways that we have interpreted our worlds. It's all about how we were brought up. And most of us were brought up with a certain set of beliefs and ways of being in the world that weren't questioned. And now we're so 
confused and bumbling through this because everything is being questioned right now. And I hope that what we can offer in this space is sitting with the questions, is, is being able to, to provide some comfort and discomfort with these questions because that's, that's where the growth is. So we're going to have to go in a minute. Yeah, we are. I, I'm, uh, this time is going really fast. I do <laughs> want to remind you that we had these people this year. Yeah. Michael Morwood has been with us twice now, once in person and once via webinar. And um, the Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis was going to be with us for mm -hmm. a full weekend, but because of COVID, we shut that down to uh, an evening seminar on a Sunday morning in Ordinary Life. Yeah. It's been a year. It's been a year. Thank you. Thank you. I'll close with another Brian Doyle quote and then let you do okay. it. Um, and another story that Brian Doyle writes, and, and so much of his writing is about sitting with these small moments in life and, as I said, grappling with his own mortality. This is what I know, that the small is huge, the tiny is vast, that pain is part and parcel of the gift of joy, and that this is love. And then there is everything else. You either walk toward love or you walk away from it with every breath you draw. I hope together as we rejoin and also still gather virtually that we can keep falling and stumbling and leaping towards love no matter how ridiculous or impossible it seems. Me too. I love you. I love you too. Thanks for this. Folks, no matter where you go this week, no matter what happens, remember this, you carry precious cargo. So watch your step and we will see you, see you <laughs> here next Sunday. Yeah.